helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Life Transformation Show. I'm your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services, and I'm so delighted to be on the air this morning to continue the show that we st- we started last week, How to Overcome Workaholism. Last week, we looked at part one. This week, we'll be looking uh, at part two of of how to overcome workaholism. And I've gotten some interesting comments about last week's show. Some people have said to me that, that they have never heard uh, the story of Uriah and David explained in this light because many other sermons have portrayed Uriah in a positive, in a highly positive way as a man dedicated to the cause of the Lord and so faithful to his troops. But they've never heard Uriah talked about from the point of view of being a workaholic. And many of these people have said that it does make sense now when you look at it from that position. For those of you who are not familiar with the story, Uriah was uh, one of the generals, if I may use that word, in David's army. And he was summoned from the battlefield by David to come home to spend time with his wife Bathsheba. But Uriah refused to go home. He slept in the, at, at the gate of the king's palace, as we are told in Second Samuel 11, verse 6 to 12. And despite many prompting to go home to spend time with his wife, he stayed at his work headquarters. He He stayed there and refused to go home. And he made it sound as if he was doing a very noble thing. Notice the sentiments of Uriah in 2 Samuel 11, verse 11. Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Job and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife. As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So we have a man who has been called back from the battlefield, a man who has been given the opportunity to go and spend time with his wife. And he refused the saying, he cannot do such a thing while there is work to be done. So even though he himself was not involved in in the work at hand or in the battle that was ensuing, he refused to leave the headquarters of the battlefield. And so, as I said before, Uriah has been seen as this noble, honorable man. But put yourself for a moment in the position of Bathsheba. That's what we talked about last week, from the position of a wife who has been without her husband for some time and to know that your wife is your husband is back in t- 
town, but he, he is too involved with the cause to spend time with you. And I am well aware of the circumstances under which David was trying to get him to go home to his wife. I am well aware that David was trying to cover up his sins by doing this. But nevertheless, this man, Uriah, had such a mindset that work was more important than home. And last week, we looked at a number of topics. We talked about the dangers of workaholism. We talked about how workaholism is a confusing addiction. Yes, it is an addiction. Uriah was addicted to his work and it's as if he just needed a sniff of his work so badly that he could not go away just as as drug addicts need a sniff of their drugs. He could not go away from the workplace to go home because his work consumed him and took over his mind so much that he had to be there at the headquarters even if he had nothing to do. And today we see many people who are like that. They are at home or they're on vacation, but they're still connected to their work through their cell phone, through their emails, through their text messages. And it is, it is as if they are, they're away from work, but they're not really away. They're still there. Uriah was such a man. So we talked about how it's a confusing addiction because many people see this as, as a trait. You are so dedicated. You are so hardworking. You are such a successful man. But a lot of time we stop to consider what is happening on the home front. Bathsheba was a neglected woman, and maybe it was this neglect, this sexual neglect, this neglect of romance that made her respond to David's summon to come to the palace. And uh, many of you might disagree with that and say, well, maybe it had nothing to do with it. But we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that when there is not sexual intimacy in a marital relationship, that this opens the door to the devil to come in and to tempt the partners involved. And so Uriah uh, neglected his wife Bathsheba and Bathsheba and David ended up having this affair I think because her husband may have been neglecting her for some time. Certainly this attitude to his work didn't start just at that one record that we have in scripture. This is a mindset. This is a philosophy about work that Uriah is displaying that goes very deep. So last week we looked also what what drives workaholism. We looked at the type of workaholism and we also looked at some of the signs that if you have five signs that if you have any of these signs, you are a workaholic. So if you have missed last week's show, you can find it by going to our our YouTube channel and you can access that through our website, elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spent E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. So if you 
you would like also to contact us, you can contact us through our the numbers on our website as well. So this week, we want to talk about what to do if you are a workaholic. So we're getting into the real meat of how to overcome workaholism. And I think at the first step, to overcoming workaholism and the first step in overcoming any addiction that you have is to take stock of what this is doing to your life. So in terms of workaholism, take stock of what you are missing out in your life as a result of being consumed by your work. So What are you missing out in terms of your relationship with your children? Maybe you're missing out on special events and special moments such as birthday celebrations, such as your children's first soccer games or important games. I remember one sad story uh, that I was told in my practice by a young woman who was in soccer at a very high level and her dad would never come to her game. And then one day he took the time off work. This was the first and only time. And it was a big game in, in the city. And this dad was there for the first time in the, in the stands. And she was aware. She looked up and she saw him at the beginning of the game and she started playing her heart out. And in the second half, she scored a magnificent goal. And she looked up in the stand to, to see her dad if he saw her. And she said when she looked up, she realized that her dad had left and he had gone back to work. So that special moment he missed out on because he was a workaholic that even though he was running his own business and he could have afforded the time off, work was more important than staying for a full game. So what are you missing out on in your in your children's lives, the special moments? What are you missing out with it, with your with your spouse what what sort of family relationships what what sort of family relationships are you neglecting with other extended members of your family what kind of relationships are you forfeiting with friends because of the fact that your work consume you and even more importantly what is this doing to your relationship with god And I think when you take that kind of a stock of your life, you might realize that you need to do something about it. But many of us, we do not do, we do not take this kind of stock of our life. We just go blindly forward and and the, the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months and the months turn into years. And before we know it, life has passed us by and we have missed out on significant moments because we were workaholics. So take stock of what it is that you're missing out on. And the second step in overcoming workaholism is to uncover the emotional wound you're trying to heal or the void you're trying to fill in your life 
uh, by working hard. For some people, emotional wound is, I am not good enough. So they are working hard, trying to build their self-worth, trying to feel as if they have value, because there is a wound that they have suffered earlier on in childhood that makes them feel not good enough. So they are working harder and harder and harder, trying to fill that void of feeling not good enough. But the sad things about emotional wound, it doesn't matter. You can even get to the top of your profession, become the most successful doctor, the most successful lawyer, or make it to be the most successful professor that ever lived. But if it's an emotional wound, no amount of success in your profession will ever heal that wound. So the harder you work, the emptier you will feel, because the higher you get, the more frustrated you become, because the pain will still be there. And you will work harder and harder and harder and discover that you still feel not good enough. So maybe the emotional wound was feeling unloved or feeling abandoned by your parents. And so you are working hard to get validation from the authority figures in your workplace because you weren't, you, you weren't affirmed by the first authority figures in your life. And so you're working harder and harder and harder to get their attention. But you see, just like the, the not good enough people that work will never fill that void. No amount of attention from your co-workers or from your superiors at work, I should say, will ever make you feel as if you are affirmed. Or maybe it was that you never feel loved and you're, you're looking for, for some kind of love from the people around you, love that you would get signal if they pay attention or if they give you compliments for your work. No amount of affirmation or compliments will ever make you feel loved. So I see so many people in my practice as a psychotherapist who they're working themselves to death trying to heal emotional wound. And it's not until you get to the root of what that wound is that you will feel accomplished. So I have had one person who told me, he said, Michael, I'm at the top of my profession. He said, many people envy the position I am in, and they would do anything to be in my position. But I'm in that position, and I still feel worthless. I still feel unworthy. And as we examine the emotional wound behind that, that's behind that feeling, it turned out that his Dad had said to him when he was a child that he will never amount to anything. And so this wound he's trying to heal by proving his dad wrong uh, is never healed because the accomplishments cannot heal the wound. You have to deal with it at the source. What it is that wounded you in the first place and work 
to heal that wound. So if you missed the the, the podcast that we did on how to heal childhood emotional wounds, you can find that on our YouTube channel as well by going to our website or just searching in Elim Counseling Services in your browser and it will take you to that show, How to Heal Childhood Emotional Wounds. This is a key principle in overcoming workaholism. Michael will be right back. You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show, where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been using the story of Uriah found in 2 Samuel 11 to teach part two of how to overcome workaholism. You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Your donations help us to stay on the air and to provide subsidized counseling to those who can't afford it. Back to Michael. The next step in healing workaholism is to schedule time away from work, beginning to schedule time away from work. Set aside a day. I call this the Sabbath principle. When God created the world, the Bible tells us that he rested on the seventh day. The Bible also tells us that that God gave a command that we should remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So that must be a very important principle. Principle. If the God, the creator of the universe, has set aside a day and said, this is a day when you should rest, the principle still remains that a day of rest is very vital to your mental health. As a matter of fact, we, we did a radio show some time ago, maybe two years ago, on the Sabbath and the mental health, in which we looked at research that shows that people who actually keeps keep a Sabbath day and take time away from work were happier than people who don't. They were the happiest people on the planet and they were the people who lived the longest. So if you want the details about that show, you can find it on our YouTube channel as well. So it's important to have that day when you de-stress, when you recompose yourself, when you try to let go of all the the things from the workplace and focus on your family and if you're a spiritual person focus on God as well so it's important to schedule this time away from work i think the the, the third principle i should say is to try to balance your work life ratio the ratio between your work life and your 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 family life so in other words If you are working, working, working because there is a deadline to meet and you have to work seven days in a row, make sure that you balance that out by taking a day off after that project is finished. What many people do is that they take time away from their family life and they work for long stresses stretches by saying, you know, there's this project that I have to complete and for two months they're working, working, working. That two months is now finished and what they do is there is no break but they go on to another 
project. If you are working to complete a deadline and you have to work long hours, sometimes work demands that of us. Make sure that you follow that period of work with time off. Take a week off if you, if you have been working for a month or more without stop. And then the, the, the next thing that you should do, the, the third thing that you should do in order to get over workaholism is to listen to your body. Listen to your body. Your body is sending you signals that is showing that it is begin to reel from the, the stresses of working too long. So listen to signs of stress. You might be becoming emotionally exhausted. You might realize that your concentration is not what it used to be. You might find that you're beginning to have digestive problems, failing health. These sometimes are signs that your body is sending to you telling you that you need to slow down. Many people do not listen to these signs. They are feeling stressed. They, they are emotionally exhausted. They are becoming restless. They can't sleep and they have failing health, but they continue to push through. If you do not listen to your body and take time off, your body will get to this place where it will say, well, you're not paying attention to the signals that I'm giving you to slow down, so I'm going to shut down for you. And so many people have a nervous breakdown, and this is the body way of saying, you have been ignoring my signals. I've been sending you signals that you need to slow down, and so now I'm going to have to shut down because I cannot continue anymore. So listen to your body. The the next uh, strategy for healing workaholism, the fourth strategy is to develop a healthy lifestyle. So healthy lifestyle includes exercising. It includes eat, eating healthy, healthily, uh, sleeping well, having time for leisure, having time for spirituality. And as you begin to develop these other pockets of your life, these other areas of your life, what you will find is that you will be by doing this overcoming the tendency to have a, have a, a life that is consumed by work alone. And for exercise, I would say try to set aside at least three days a week when you do moderate exercise that, that gets your heart rate up for about half an hour per day. And, and of course, you know, check with your doctor before you start any exercise program. But exercise is good. It helps you to deal with the stresses of work and, 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 and it secretes the, it secretes the, the body's own feel good hormones to help you to deal with stress better and so forth. And the fifth thing that you should do is to count the cost to others. What cost is workaholism having on the people around you? If we look at the example that we started with, the story of Bathsheba and Uriah. Uriah, if he was counting the costs of his workaholism, he could say, he could put himself in the place of his wife, in the shoe of his wife, and say, what does what does Bathsheba feel like being at home and knowing that her husband is in town but not able to see him? 
What does she feel like be, be knowing that she's not my top priority? What is this doing to her, her sexual urges and her sexual desires? What kind of position is this putting her in? What kind of temptation is this putting her in? And so Uriah did not consider the cost on others? What what kind of cost is this having to your children? What kind of example are you setting for them in terms of how they should live their lives, how they should treat their own children and their own spouses? These things are important. But a lot of time we place the emphasis on work because we, we, we buy into this principle that if we just have more, we are going to be we're going to be happy. Or if we, if we achieve more in our profession, we're going to be happy. But the fact is that working harder, having workaholism is not a, is not something that will ever get you to a point that will make you happy. There was one interesting study that is called the Harvard Study of Adult Development, and this is the longest study that has ever been done. It started in 1938 and lasted for at least seven to five years after. So 724 teenagers were tracked between 1938 to seven to five years into the future by these researchers from Harvard. And these, these teenagers came from two distinctly opposite strata of Stratas of society. The first group in the study were in their sophomore years at Harvard College. And the second group that were followed was a group of boys from Boston, poorest neighborhoods. And these boys were specifically selected because they, because of their disadvantaged economic uh, situation. And they wanted to see how these two groups of men would do in the future. And what happened after seven to five years was very, very surprising because the the the, the authors of the study, the researchers uh, of the study, what they found is that some of these boys from the poorest neighborhood rose to the top of society and some of the men who were in their sophomore years of Harvard they 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 fell by the wayside and they ended up at the bottom of society but that wasn't the real surprise of the study the real surprise of the study is what made what they discovered that made people happy and this, what this study found is that the greatest predictor of happiness after following this group of men for 75 years is that the people who were connected to family and friends were, who had held to relationships, they were healthier, they were happier, they lived longer, and they had better brain functioning. On the other hand, they found that people who were lonely, people who were not in healthy relationship, that these people had poorer health, that they that they had faster decline in brain functioning, and that they lived shorter lives, and that they were less happy uh, as a result of the loneliness. So the, the researchers also looked at the group of men who were by that time, some uh, when they were in their 80s, and they look back and trace back to when these men were 50 years old and say, okay, let's go back to 
to when these men were 50 and see if we can come up with what is the single most common factor that these people in their 80s had at age 50 that that would seem to predict healthier lives at 80. And what they found again is that these men who were happier at 50 were men who were in well-connected relationships. And as a matter of fact, what the researchers found is that the men who were in their 80s at that point is that even though they had the same physical pain as the other men who were not in well-connected relationships who were still alive, they found that people who were in healthier relationship experience physical pain as being less severe than the men who were lonely. And so even though the way pain was experienced was less by people who were happier. It would seem that the people who were not in elder relationship, that their physical pain was exacerbated by their emotional pain as well. And so when it comes to workaholism, it's important for us to realize that we are actually killing ourselves. We're actually making ourselves live shorter lives by not focusing on the time that we need to spend with family. And so there you have it for today. I've given specific steps on how to overcome this addiction of workaholism. And so if you have missed the first part of today's show, I encourage you to listen to it by going to our website, elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. You can also access this show in YouTube by just typing in Elim Counseling Ministry in YouTube. I want to remind you that we are a not-for-profit organization that counts on your support to stay on the air. You can also help us by subscribing to our YouTube channel. So, until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services, praying that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.